Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It is Sunday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Q&A podcast with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Weekend, sorry we changed the time. And of course, David O'Brien. Hello, it's time. It Sunday. is time. Podcast time. So if you're wondering why we're coming to you on a Sunday, we thought it might be a good idea to do a post-match Q&A podcast, a post-weekend uh, analysis, if you will. We put the poll out on Twitter. 20% of you said yes. 66% of you said Jabby Alonso, which I hey. count as a yes, essentially. So here we are. We're going to do it on Sundays from now on. Give us a chance to talk about the weekend's action and uh, answer your questions as well. So good stuff. You know? Sunday is so much better. Saturday mornings, you know, I'm not in the right headspace. You know, Sunday evening, I've watched all the football, I've consumed it all, I'm ready to chat. I'm excited about today's as well because there's lots to get through and, and lots of great questions as well. Before that, the comment of the week this week goes to J. James Aylwood on iTunes who said, if Carling did podcast five stars. Now, first off, isn't it Carlsberg? If Carlsberg did. It is Carlsberg. Right, and Carl. It is Carlsberg. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they're, we'll, we'll forgive, we'll forgive that. that. Because he said, I've listened to this podcast from the start and been enlightened and entertained by it ever since. Covers the topics every fan wants to discuss and finds an insight into the game that we all love. James, thank you very it's much for your kind words. If you want to be coming after the week, get on iTunes, rate and review the podcast. Imagine if all these people had just accidentally left it on the wrong podcast and they're all like, yeah. <laughs> Love the football ramble. ramble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, really insightful. Does everything you want, and then uh, and we're just sitting here bringing them all in. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the good stuff, then, guys. This weekend's biggest game, or today's biggest game, of course, was Manchester City versus Arsenal. It finished two-two. Dave, Man City's season's going south pretty quickly, isn't it? Yeah, pretty quickly. Um, it's quite interesting to see the City side of how they. What they've become in a way, they've become a team of individuals, you'd say, with, you know, really relying on the likes of Aguero and De Bruyne to pretty much create something out of nothing to score a goal. There's no, he's not, you know, consistency wise, they're not consistently creating loads of really good chances. You know, both the goals are a bit of individual brilliance. So it's going to be different under Pep next season. There'll be more, you know, be more with the ball, more creating a lot more chances. But it's just, they're they're crumbling, absolutely crumbling. And to let Arsenal back in the game on two occasions Mm. was absolutely ridiculous. 
So now their their qualification to the Champions League next season is not assured. It's actually in Manchester United's hands now uh, as to whether they can finish in the top three or four. Uh, on the game itself, though, Lawrence, I mean, Dave says it there. City let Arsenal back into the game. Mm-hmm. It, especially that second goal, Sanchez's second goal. So much space for him to drive into in, in, in the second half. And it's just uh, defensively. They seem very poor. I mean, they haven't won a game against the top five this season. Yeah, I mean, it's not for me. It's more that they just don't seem to have much defensive structure behind the two um, midfielders, and so the midfielders are fairly critical in keeping that structure. But then, when when that's broken down, it's actually quite a porous defence, um, which is unusual to say about an Otamendi Mangala backline. But I don't feel that they're particularly. It's not that they don't know each other. I just don't. I think what their problem is is not so much the preparation for the game, it's more the in-game management of players such as Sanchez. And so you probably expect that from, you know, a team playing with so many different options. You know, they finished with, I think, Welbeck, Iwobi, Giroud up front, with Sanchez sort of out to the right. And I think it confuses that defence because they don't necessarily have a lot of protection on either flank or good protection on either flank. And then they find themselves kind of very readily exposed they don't necessarily, either of them, know how to deal with that. Mm. Welbeck uh, actually went off. He went off injured. Uh, Jack Wilshere coming on for him, um, which is obviously a boost for Arsenal. Maybe England. It looks quite good, actually. Um, Manchester United, though, Dave. As oh, I said, come on, in, mate. I thought he looked all right. Mm. Yeah, come on. Yeah. In the same way that Oxlade-Chamberlain's not in the squad. What a, what a loss. <laughs> oh, you're talking about Welbeck not being in the squad? Is no, not... no. I mean, just, just Wilshere or um, Oxlade-Chamberlain, they go, oh, he's out. Um, and you're like, they're not going to be in the England team. And you're like, they never were. <laughs> Wilshere will be, though, surely. We, we've spoke about this before, isn't it? How Roy Hodgson's a big fan and has said himself, you know, if Wilshere's fit, I'm going to take Jack Wilshere, which is uh, mm. obviously a controversial opinion. But it seems like he will win that plane. Welbeck, though, potentially won't now. He's, he's suffered this injury. He doesn't know how serious he is yet. Uh, Dave, Manchester United, though. So it is in their hands. <laughs> They've got West Ham away on Tuesday night. They've got Bournemouth at home for the final game of the season. How do you feel about this one? Do you think they're going to do it? Well, I think you've got to look at these games as three cup finals in a way. Um, United were so toothless against Norwich on on Saturday morning. They were awful. Um, And it sort of goes to show when Anthony Martial and Rashford, what two lads that are under the age of 21, you know, are the complete output of your attacking unit. It's pretty pathetic in terms of, you know, some of those players in there. Players like Ander Herrera, Juan Mata, who Juan Mata obviously scored the goal, but throughout the game he was very, very, very poor. Uh, not really creating many chances. They were going too wide for the wrong situations, trying to get play through balls to the fullbacks. It was just so messy, and it just, it just, it's so rubbish. Wayne Rooney again, who I've been praising in central midfield, had to go back up top, and it was like we were missing Wayne Rooney in central midfield. Now, mm. just an absolute mess of a club, and you know, the sooner this season over, the better. <laughs> if we get top four, it'll be it'll be a, a massive injustice because we are utter rubbish. It's it was unfair if we get top four. But, you don't sound you know, confident it's going to happen either. Sale, I know I don't because after the Man United of this season it's so like hot and cold that we sort of ground out a win against Norwich we'll probably go to West Ham even though we beat them in the you know recently in the FA Cup away at Upton Park yeah. um, we could go there and lose that game obviously Marouane Fellaini was very good in the uh, FA Cup tie Memphis Depay not Memphis sorry Martial was absolutely brilliant um, so if we you know those two players are missing it could be a bit of a worry for United again Memphis Depay what, I don't know what's happened to him Feel it looks like his confidence has gone you know, at the start of the season I was saying how yeah this could be very dangerous if Louis Van Al continues to use Memphis Depay in this way and he's continued to do that and now Memphis Depay just looks an absolute bag of nerves he mm. scored at the end though which would have been really good for his confidence but he needs to consistently play 
um, on that left-hand side or, you know, maybe even moved inside to sort of a second striker role. So he's got a bit more freedom to move around because it was sort of like the, you know, whenever he's come up against the right-back this season, they sort of telegraph every single one of his moves, mm. which is a little bit weird. It seems to happen every time when he tries something, it always doesn't work. But I just feel it's just what Louis van Gaal has done to some of these young players. You know, his mismanagement of Yanazai again. Yanazai, uh, you know, should have come on just before we scored. Or he's supposed to come on and then we scored our first goal then sent back to the bench. Then again, he gets called back on 80 minutes and he gets put, sent back to the bench again. Just seems absolutely crazy. This player that has talent. Yanazai is a talented player. Maybe he's not the brightest. Maybe he doesn't get along with Louis van Gaal. But it's sort of Louis van Gaal's agenda now. Potentially mm. is harming Manchester United's future. Ben Skiro tweets in to ask, is the top four and the FA Cup a successful season for United? Does it save LVG? Of course, assuming they do finish in the top four and win the FA Cup. What do you reckon to that, Dave? Um, I think it doesn't save, it, so save LVG. LVG's obviously been brought in to do a job, potentially, of moving the squad on. He's done that fantastic, whatever. But, uh, you know, the, the lack of progress sometimes with this team, it, it's worrying. And again, we've gone back to this toothless um, possession-based system that just doesn't create chances and that's the issue. If fair enough, if we had 90% possession like Bayern Munich do every week but they create like, you know, they have like 35 shots on goal, that's fair enough. But if you're not mm. creating chances and you're just recycling the ball for recycling the ball for the hell of it, uh, it's ridiculous. You know, look at how many goals United have scored in the Premier League this season. You know, there's teams at the bottom. Sunderland have scored more goals than United this season. That is ridiculous. It's, inc- it's quite incredible that they're still in the race for the top four, isn't it? I mean, that is... Yeah, they, they can do it if they win these two games. Uh, so mm. it's, it's a good weekend for Manchester United, weirdly. Uh, a bad weekend for Manchester City, of course, who, who now have Champions League qualification out of their hands. A good weekend, though, for Arsenal. Really, Lawrence. I mean, we talked about Wilshere coming back there. Uh, Giroud's drought is over. Sanchez coming back or continuing his, his impressive form over the last six or seven games. And of course, St. Totteringham's day could be back on. Yeah. Tottenham losing 2-1 at home to Southampton today, meaning that Arsenal can catch them on the final day of the season. Spurs only need one point, though, to finish above Arsenal for the first time since 1995. And I mean, not only that, Adam, but they are only how many points off AVB's all-time high for the club? I believe we are two points two. off them. Yes, two, two points. points off. Okay, so you just Weirdly. need the one, or would you rather get get the three? Um, shame, shame is not two for a win anymore, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I am not. I'm a little bit worried. I've got to say because I was hoping that Newcastle would be a little bit in, in a better position by this point and you know that they wouldn't have so much to play for <laughs> but going into that yeah. game you sort of think oh god here we here we go you know they, they've really got something to, to try and win this match for but on the other hand couldn't score against Aston Villa they're the, I believe they're the only team in the Premier League who failed to beat Aston Villa this season yeah that was so, bizarre, wasn't it? that really was a weird um a really weird match yeah crazy but it's why are Villa why are all the Villa players just such wankers like <laughs> Just let Newcastle score, yeah. shit all over Sam Allardyce, yeah. and we'll just Whoa, move on. Whoa, buddy. Yeah, well, they, they like that. Get the memo. Super they Sam. Get the memo Super Sam? Super Sam. Super, Super satisfied. Sam is one, is one Super... win away from leading Sunderland to safety. <laughs> Super self-satisfied Sam is so stupid. Whoa. He likes meditating, Lawrence. He's a, he's a Zen guy. He likes football stats. You know what more could you not <laughs> like about Sam Allardyce? He's so good at meditating that when another player comes to him and says, "I don't really get this meditating stuff," he turns to me and goes, "You must not be enough of a believer then." Mm. And then he walks away. And you think that's good meditation, Sam? Well done. You've really managed to manage your anger well there. Tottenham, though, yeah. again, 
Loot dropping points from a winning position, Dave. That's a total of seven points from their last three games. It's 20 points in total this season. They've lost from winning positions more than any other team. Pochettino coming out after the game saying they've got a lot, a lot to learn. Maybe that inexperience showing, you know, Tottenham got a lot of credit this season for having a young, vibrant, exciting team. But the last three games, hashtag mentality. Quite embarrassing now. Ten points, oh, mate. The thing is, I've got. I'm trying to look at it from a certain perspective and say, you know, Spurs, Spurs were not expected to finish in the top four this season. And if you'd have said to me, we Fuck could, off. we they weren't. Was anyone expected? Yeah, but Spurs no one, no one Leicester expected to finish in the top. Exactly. Four this so season, I'm trying but... to, I'm trying to remain positive and say, okay, look, we've qualified for the Champions League. We actually challenged for the title in the first for the first time in my lifetime, which I'm, I think is incredible. At the same time, it's very disappointing to to be ending the season. Like this. I mean, it, it is it is partly because you know they've they've just dropped out the title race, but you'd still sort of hope that. I mean, Southampton have also been on somewhat of a run. You'd mm. also hope that um, you know the players would do it for their own sort of uh, self worth, if you like. Um, but then you know, I mean, you know, let's put it this way: you're finishing the season by finishing second or third. John Terry's finishing by finishing ninth, ten points almost behind Liverpool. And not even playing his last game. The worst ever defence by a, a Premier League champion, I, I should add, for Chelsea. Um, but Shrishan wrote in, he said, if Arsenal finish second, Spurs finish third with 70 points, how will Adam feel about Spurs' season as a whole? I still think it is uh, a massive success. I mean, like I say, Huge. you've got almost adjust the expectations to now because finishing below Arsenal would be a, a pretty big disappointment, to be honest, because you know every Spurs yep. fan wants to do it and... You know, I think we'd <laughs> there'd be there'd be banter for days from Arsenal fans. It wouldn't it wouldn't end essentially. So I definitely don't want that. But I think you also have to look at it from the point of view of it's been a massive success. Qualifying for the Champions League is not something that was expected this season. To finish second or third and and to to make a title change, I think the, the whole season has to be seen as a success. But we'll see if we can actually finish above Arsenal. All we need to do is draw with Newcastle. That's all we need to do. It's away from home, it's Newcastle lads. Hopefully Crash cut. We'll be right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All we need to do is a simple draw with. Oh shit. So yeah, I'm not feeling massively confident to be honest, but you know, it would be ultimate Spurs to uh, have the best season in in their Premier League history and still finish below Arsenal. That would be the definition of Spursy, I think. Um, Liverpool, though, Lawrence. Uh, we'll touch on them briefly. Winning two 0 against Watford. Professional performance, played number of kids, blah, blah, blah. But Rishab Singh writes in asking about Firmino. Uh, 21 goals slash assists this season. Uh, how important will he be for LFC moving forward? Yeah, I think it's about consistency for Firmino. Um, you know, he's been fantastic to watch him and some fantastic things he's done. He's got a great highlights reel. It's about doing that in every game, not drifting in and out. I think it's... You know, mo- most people who um, maybe watch Liverpool games will see him drift out, and that can be very frustrating because you you know you know what he can do, but that doesn't mean he can't produce a great moment for every game, and I think that's part of it really. So, I think for Firmino, it's going to be about being more consistent. Um, and, you know, I think Klopp, Klopp's already identified that, and I think there's been a few games now where he's got the best out of him, mm. and that's been against sides maybe where he's felt that Liverpool are the the better team, and so I feel like that's part of it is. You know, giving Firmino the right environment to produce. Uh, you know, for Klopp, it's not just about the individual. Obviously, it's what the individual does for the system. I don't think you'd play him if you didn't believe he added something to the system, as well those as those individual pieces of brilliance. Um, having said that, you know, Klopp's focus wasn't even on that today. I mean, uh, he was on Joe Allen. 
who he said uh, needs to play Joe Allen football. Um, so, you know, you know, obviously I, what I find interesting about that is, you know, just a few seasons ago, you know, they were talking about the Welsh Javi or whatever it is. Um, you know, if that come out of another manager's mouth, that might have sounded ridiculous, but because it comes out of Klopp's mouth, it's sort of the, the, the press lap it up. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, it's interesting. He, he was very, he obviously praised him today. He said it wasn't one to the LFC museum, but it was still a good game. And then mm. Liverpool won 2-0. Um, and it, it also very sad for Ward, who was going to make his debut uh, for Liverpool, but uh, sadly didn't. So his, his Premier League debut for Liverpool, but sadly didn't today. Elsewhere, the league title race is down to Barcelona and Real Madrid. Dave, Atletico Madrid are out after losing to Levante. Real Madrid just about holding on against Valencia and Barcelona winning 5-0. It's going down to the final day. It's hard to look past Barcelona. I mean, since they've had their wobble, they've won four games in a row with a combined score of twenty-one nil in the league, which is which is quite something. So you wouldn't you wouldn't put it past them to, to win on that final day and retain the league title. I think that's uh, what's going to happen exactly because the other two obviously are probably more focused on the Champions League. You know, um, Simeone rested both Diego Godin and Antoine Griezmann, arguably two Atletico's two of the best players. Um, and unfortunately, Giuseppe Rossi had put the final knife into the end of Atletico's title challenge with a pretty decent goal on the counter-attack. But, you know, one player that I'd like to talk about is okay this season. I think he's really, really maturing um, as a player. You know, he got his 14th assist of the season, a lovely through ball again to Fernando Torres. Um, you know, that's his best, uh, it's the most assists he's managed in a La Liga season in his whole entire career. So it's you know he's definitely improving as a player, he's really maturing, and you know their midfielders we spoke before about Oliver Torres, Saul, um, you know, and Koke. That is such a good unit that is going to flourish from years to come. I think Real Madrid uh, again. I just think Barcelona is going to steamroll over the last game and pick up the league title. But Real Madrid are coming back to form. Ronaldo scored a pretty decent goal. Andre Gomez scored an absolute belter for um, Valencia from outside the area. He's been linked with Juventus, Manchester United in the summer, so it could be interesting. Portuguese lad, 23 years old, very energetic midfielder, um, you know, very like a box-to-box type of player. So it could be interesting to see where he goes in the summer. What do you make of Simeone's decision to rest players there? Because it's a few weeks away the final. It's not as if it's coming up uh, in in the next few days. I think potentially. I think um, what Godin's coming back from injury, mm. so it's probably you know in his sort of cycle, you've probably got to give him a rest. And again, Antoine Griezmann is so crucial to this Atletico Madrid team. He is the the X factor. So would you want to risk that? You know, you are, well, they were sitting in third before, so it would have been a big, big... Were they in third or were they second? Joined second? Well, they were top really matter. This, they, they, they they were were top this yeah. one point this afternoon when they'd scored in the, the yeah. early goal. But I mean, I yeah, see, I see what you're just, saying. Yeah. But it feels weird to give up on it when it's so... Not give up on it, but it feels Close. weird to, to make that decision when it's so tight at the top. Well, do you not feel that's a bit of an assumption, though? Do you not think, think maybe Simeone believes there's more to his system than just the key players? Yeah, I think that, you know, Angle Carrera, who came in, he's a very talented Argentinian lad, but just not the same um, type of player as Antoine Griezmann in terms well, like of... like you say, Griezmann's the best in Europe, but but if you... Yeah. Does that worry you then, Dave, that if your system relies so heavily on just one player to do well there? I think it's, it's just... I think it's going to be a lesson for Simeone. You know, what's, what Simeone's done so well this summer... Uh, what we did, sorry, last summer was recruit players to build himself a nice squad. That's why they have been so competitive on both fronts up until this moment. But what we might find here is that he might need another Antoine Griezmann type player. You know, when the push comes to shove and one of them, one of your goal scorers goes out, another one can step up. You know, you look at Barcelona, it's a classic example of Suarez, Neymar, Messi. You know, if one goes, another one can step up. 
and that might be the slight issue that um, Simeone would might want to address in the summer. Obviously, they, they have that ban coming up, so he might not be able to address it. But yeah, it's, it, that could be it could be down to that sort of thing. Is the the quality of his squad? Now he's got the squad. Now he just needs to improve the quality. So it will take time for Simeone, but I reckon. He's the type of man that can build something really special at Atletico in the coming years. Elsewhere around the world of football, and so much going on this weekend. A lot of titles confirmed. Leicester, of course, lifting the Premier League title at home. Watching it, it was hard not to feel a little bit emotional about it, even as a Spurs fan who, who obviously been riding with Leicester for the title. But yeah, Bocelli, that performance was incredible. And to see Wes Morgan and Ranieri lift the trophy... I thought it was a beautiful moment, but also I think that was a moment where it, it, it started to sink in for me. It hasn't actually sunk in yet, I don't think, that Leicester have won the Premier League because it's so insane. But Why? I, I just I, I still can't wrap my head around it yet that they've actually won it. I think I think it sunk in for me straight away because um, it just also feels a bit normal now, really, doesn't it? Mm, it doesn't feel like so stunning anymore. But I just, you know, we, we were saying on this podcast, you know, oh, the, at the start of the season, we said, oh, they're going to fall all away right. soon, you know, Christmas is still going to no, fall Adam, away. No, we predicted the whole thing, mate. I don't know what you're talking about. They could still fall away now, you know. They could still what? fall away. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> just, did it all uh, for expected goals. Yeah. Oh. But it's... Uh, it was a beautiful moment anyway. I mean, it's, it's an incredible achievement, of, obviously, as we spoke about last week. And quite surreal to see them actually lifting the Premier League trophy, but uh, a wonderful moment nonetheless. Is there no anger? You're not angry about it that your team came so close? I find it very hard like to feel anger fan, because it's such an incredible story. Say if it was Arsenal or Man City, yes, I think there'd be anger and there'd be a little bit of uh, resentment. But when Leicester do it, there is that part of it, you know, we, we should have won this league, yeah. but it's, you can't really begrudge it, really. They, they 100% deserve it. So I can't, I can't feel any anger because it's such a wonderful story, really. Yeah. I mean, you must feel a little bit anger towards your own team for letting it slip. I mean, mm. it's again, it's hard for me to feel that anger because I never expected them to be anywhere near this position. I expected us to be fighting for 7-6, you know, at the start of the season. I was like, oh my God, you know, it's going to be a real struggle this year. So for us to have achieved what we've achieved, I still just feel grateful that Spurs actually made a title challenge. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Uh, <laughs> elsewhere, PSV won the Dutch title in the final game. Ajax drawing, which gifted them the title. Uh, Manchester United slash Man City-esque scenes on the pitch, of course, with PSV finding out from the fans that they'd sort of won the title, that Ajax had dropped points. So that's the second title in a row for them. Celtic won the fifth Scottish title in a row. Bayern Munich winning the fourth Bundesliga title in a row, meaning Kingsley Coman, who's 19 years old, has mm. already technically won the Bundesliga, Ligue 1 and Serie A, which is not bad for, uh, for a teenager. Uh, Burton Albion promoted to the championship. We should also probably mention as well, Dave, Dynamo Bucharest, Patrick E. King, who tragically died after collapsing on the pitch on Friday. Yes, Terrible, terrible situation, obviously. We had Fabrice Mwamba, who um, luckily survived a similar incident in, in the UK. But unfortunately, over um, in Bucharest, they didn't have the correct equipment. They didn't have a defibrillator. So before Fabrice Mwamba um, was put into an ambulance on the way to the hospital, um, unfortunately, Ekin, they didn't get shocked at all. So Mwamba had 15 shocks before he was jumped into the ambulance. But 
Ekin, nothing, just basic, um, you know, basic, very basic life support stuff. To, you know, nothing to restart your hearts, unfortunately. Uh, but it's something that needs to be addressed in the game. There's too many incidences in the, you know, the last few years. You know, go back to the Sevilla player Pueta that died died in 2004. And I think we've properly addressed that situation. And uh, you know, if you're in the, you know, UEFA. You should have this type of equipment at your ground. But basically, what I would say is, is it's difficult to know the where the responsibility lies. I mean, it's definitely someone in the stadium, but I, I wouldn't necessarily blame the direct medical staff that dealt with it. Um, you obviously will wait for the in inquest and for people to look into it, but it's still very sad. And, you know, no professional player should die like that. Um, no one should. Um, but it, that there are still sort of defects and unusual things that happen. You'd hope they're picked up off the pitch and then dealt with in the right way. Um, you know, part of it is also down to the strains that are put on the modern day footballer's body. You know, they run twice as far as they did at one point in professional um, football. That uh, these guys are honing their bodies to be really elite and something which uh, you know people want to to watch uh, more and more. So you know, let's see let's see how they deal with it. They're, you know, hopefully this is one of a few incidents. But it is becoming more commonly reported the, the problem is really that you know the more medical knowledge we get um the better it is but therefore in the press the more it's the more specifically it becomes reported and um at times that can lead to an almost hyperbole sort of nature about this sort of thing um and that's that's worrying because you know we obviously we want people to be safe um but at the same time we don't want it to be a sort of hyperbolic nature with which we deal with people's health so no uh, an investigation has apparently been launched into the death and uh, into an potential first day's failure. So at the very least, you know, although the death is tragic, hopefully uh, new measures will come from it to, to make sure this sort of thing can't happen again. Uh, let's move on to the question, those guys. A lot of questions coming in on Twitter, lots of great ones. So let's get into it. First up, guys, Mortada Nazir asks, was it a mistake announcing that Pep Guardiola would join City that early. Could it have had any influence on City's bad performance? Don't know. Could it? Um, I mean, what do you reckon? I, I mean, Ferguson famously came out a few years ago and said he he believed it was a mistake to announce that he was retiring at the end of the season. Of course, when he originally said he was going to leave Manchester United, he announced it midway through the season. He said that was a mistake because it affected the mentality uh, of his players. I, I don't know if. I put it down to that announcement, though, having such a profound effect on City that they're now, of course, in danger of falling out of the top four places. I think there's other reasons that have contributed more to that. Uh, yeah, obviously, I think there's a lot of different things um, to, to, to do with Man City that's problem at the moment. I think most of it is this this new dawn that the club seem to be uh, marketing. Um, that is part. I mean, it's not only Pep. I think it's the way the club have dealt with it as well. Dave, do you not think it, on the pitch though? Pellegrini, Pellegrini has been criticised a lot for for tactics, for substitutions, the way he he sort of set up City in these games. Does that have not have more of an impact than you know the the announcement, which admittedly may have affected the players in some respects, but surely not that profoundly. Uh, yeah, I think that you can look at it in twofold. One is psychologically for some of these players that may not be around next season. How motivated are they, they to perform? You know, we saw Yaya Torre in the semi-final, uh, uh, second leg. He was pretty, you know, some of the clips of him running around was, was atrocious in terms of the effort he was putting in. Again, Kevin De Bruyne was pushed out wide left today. 
uh, scored a fantastic goal, but it was a, it was from an area where you'd like him to drift if he was playing centrally behind a striker. In the issue where you have that Ian Nacho and um, Aguero starting up front together, feel with Aguero in a way it's probably best to play him alone. So you know he has the space to move into. I feel when he's played next to a striker, whether it's been Bonnie or Iheanacho um, at Manchester City this season. The other striker has massively struggled. Bonnie, you know, coming to the ball too much. Iheanacho didn't know whether to go short, go long, spin in behind. It was just a bit confusing. And again, you'd say you get, he's got he got some stuff right today. You know, the central midfield pairing of Fernando and Fernandinho were really good. I thought Otamendi had a fantastic game again. But then again, you've got to look at the, full, the, the fullbacks. You know, where's the recruitment there from the previous summer? Is that... Um, necessarily Pellegrini's fault or has he just got to deal with uh, the players that he's got and then they are waiting for this next move which is Guardiola to come into the summer I think Nazari's been a bit of a miss again being injured Navas is just useless going forward so I think it's, it's a number of factors that you know part of it has to definitely to be blamed that some of these players won't be there next season so why do they need to perform why do they need to motivate, motivate surely, themselves surely they're, they're just pushing for a new move yeah I feel like the, the on the pitch stuff though it has more influence. I mean you talk about it there the tactical decisions by Pellegrini. I mean, playing Torre in that final before the game, there was outcry from City fans who were yep. furious that he was playing. I don't think that's, you know, Torre's not thinking, fuck this, I can't be asked to play because Guardiola's coming next season. That is a, that's a poor mis- uh, decision to put him on the pitch in the first place, which is down to Pellegrini. He, hey, maybe his mentality has changed. <laughs> he knows he's being replaced. Yeah. Uh, interesting, though, it, it seemed, you know, the majority of the stadium. Uh, the home fans today had walked out before he made his goodbye speech. Now, I'm not quite sure what to make of that one because despite his failings, they were in the Champions League semi-final this season. Obviously, they won the pe- the, the Premier League under Pellegrini. Although be- you would say, major- I mean, you know, the, the criticism a lot of uh, Man City fans, although people who go to the stadium are that they are not Man City fans. Um, you know, so maybe that's part of it. Um, I also think part of it is down to the fact that you know they are expecting what they consider to be better coming I, I, I don't like the disrespect with which some of the fans are approaching their manager but then it's not exclusive to Man City mm. uh, you know there are a lot of fans take for granted what they have next question Dave is Hamza uh, Bob, Bobby on Twitter said can Memphis make it in the Premier League yeah, I definitely think he can. He just needs a run of games. He needs to be un- under the right management. You know, he definitely has the quality. Just feel confidence-wise at the moment, it's definitely not up there. It's, you know, look at his, his stats yesterday. weren't too bad. Three shots on goal. You know, five crosses created a chance. You know, completed two out of three take-ons. But I just feel he's not, uh, he's not in the fluid uh, PSV Eindhoven form. I think one of the biggest things as well, Eindhoven, there was a lot of movement where he'd you know, sort of not defend and he'd play on the halfway line and he'd be breaking with Luke de Jong and combining well with the target man. He doesn't really have that at Manchester United this season. You wouldn't say Rashford, Martial or Rooney are target men that are going to bring him into play higher up the pitch. So it just means that he's, he's basically playing against the pack defence instead of getting in behind the defence and, and you know, finishing very well, which he's good at. Uh, you look at the, the you know his free kick, or, you know coming on the 90th minute that was it was so close to going. And I think something like that could really sort of start his Manchester United career and get him get him flying. You know, look at the, his performances in Europe. He was United's top scorer in Europe in Europe this season. You know, his goal against PSV Eindhoven was a bit of individual brilliance, and he, he got into the right areas in Europe. He looked a lot more confident. So I think it's just the uh, the wrong manager. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The wrong season for Memphis, mm. but it's gonna, you know, he needs to uh, needs to adjust and he needs to adapt, and he does know that, you know, the when he went to I went to an interview with Under Armour with him, and he was saying that he needs to improve, and he, he understands that Premier League fullbacks are, are faster than uh, Eredivisie fullbacks, and that's a big thing that he's got to play with. He's got to make his movement better. He's got to come short. He's got to spin in behind. He's got to make them think more, and I think that's something that Memphis needs to evolve as a player. But we just you got to remember that this lad, you know, his first season in the Premier League, a big move, a lot of money, a lot of pressure behind his back. And he's only 22 years old. That is, that is incredible. I was 26, what, on Wednesday? And I don't know anything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very true. Here's a fantastic question from Juan Vargas. If you could have lunch with any two managers, who would they be and where would you go? Very they good have to question. be alive now. Let's say they have to be alive now and they have to be currently That's managing a, managing a club. I'd go definitely want Bill Shankly there. Um, um, I... You'd obviously want Pep. Yeah, I think you want, Pep. I'd go, I'd, I'd go Pep and Klopp. Oof. Yeah, I think I'd go Pep and Poch, actually, funnily enough. Um, Pep, obviously, a fascinating really? man. Yeah, I think he'd be a fascinating man to, to chat to about tactics, and he's obviously incredibly intelligent. And Poch, you know, it's similar, but also because of my club, I think that would, that would be. I feel uh, like you'd be making most of the conversation. No, I think they, mm. they, they'd have a respect for each other, and they'd, they'd want to have a little chat as well. So I think it'd be a good, you know, it'd be a, a lively little lunch. I'd probably what, do you, what do you think they'd order? I think we'd go down Nando's. I'd show him Nando's. Show him really? what it's all about. <laughs> uh, where would you go with uh, Klopp and uh, Pep? Probably go to Leon. Leon, yeah? Leon, Jesus Christ. Then you're going to be in and out. I want to go to like, some French bistro. It's like a five-course meal. You know, yeah, get no, there for an extended no, agree, period yeah. of time. Relax, can, a few can... glasses of wine or something. It's very sophisticated. You know, you see, two you, intelligent men you, and me. You uh, lads just haven't really thought about this properly, right? Come on, in, Dave. One, one. You want Carlo Ancelotti? It, it is in his in his yeah. autobiography. He just speaks about food for about two or three chapters, right? He knows his food. Yep. So you, you meet Carlo, maybe central London. You go, Carlo, where we go? And he takes you to an absolute cracking uh, Italian restaurant. Yeah, get it. the classic, the ragu, the ravioli out, and then you bring along Alex Ferguson. He will bring part of his, you know, his wine collection. Obviously, a big investor in wine. But he brings the wine, Carlo brings the food, and then you just talk about football for a bit. Now, I said a current manager, Dave. So Alex Ferguson is retired. So you've got a rule. He's got a director. Okay, so I've got to throw someone else for the, yes. the wine choice. Right. No, I'm going to go outside the box. I'm going to go for Sam Allardyce. Whoa. That is, Get that is a the party started. I, I see. So you, you go out for a few wines with Carlo, and after lunch, a few pints with Sam get yeah. in it you know oh, nice. do some meditation you're, you're thinking about this that's a good answer um next question is from gk arteta assist who says who is the best young talent in the academies from the team that you support um for spurs josh onam has already sort of come through to the first team now i think um the one 
I've seen a lot of chat about was Marcus Edwards, uh, who, who's quite a skilled little forward. He's having a bit of a, a contract wrangle with Spurs at the moment, so he might not be there for long. He's uh, apparently turned down uh, a new deal. But at the moment, seeing as he's still there, he's probably the most uh, promising Marcus Edwards uh, that I know of. Dave, what about you from Man United? I think you've got to, uh, you can't go further than Angel Gomez, um, a 16-year-old lad um, who scored some pretty outstanding goals. An attacking player can play in um, you know, any of the four attacking positions on the left, on the right, up front or attacking midfield or in central midfield as well. And he, you know, a very talented lad, captain the England under-16s, uh, I think, and is really pushing on for the, you know, to get into the under-21 squad next season, even though he's will only be 17 years old. So, you know, expect big things. Mm. Anyone from uh, Liverpool, Lawrence? It's quite a few, actually. Um, I suppose Klopp's bringing quite a few of those guys through at the moment. Um, you know, uh, they've got players like Brannigan, uh, who Klopp, I think he played against Watford and said, uh, sorry, I'm playing you out of position. He said he literally, before he brought on the pitch, he apologised to him for playing him on the right wing. Um, and then uh, when he came off, he said, oh, actually, it turns out he is... Uh, we found another position for him um, and then Shea, Shea Ojo uh, who's been fantastic for Liverpool has come through this season um, and then obviously there's people like Stewart as well um, other young players sadly Liverpool have lost Jordan Rossiter uh, I mean say lost they, they sent him to Rangers um, and then there are a lot of other young talented players in that side mm. so it's quite an exciting academy for Liverpool, and especially on the Klopp, it seems particularly exciting because quite a few of those guys have got their chance this season. Nico tweets in, and he says, Thoughts on expected goals and Craig Burley's idiotic rant on ESPN? It's a fantastic question I was hoping someone would ask. Here's a little clip of Craig Burley losing his might. One thing I want to point to is that, and you may not buy into our old friend expected goals, but... Uh, it, it was something like 4.2 to, to 1 and change in, in this one. And if Muller puts the penalty away, then we're not having this conversation right now. So the margins between victory and defeat are so slim. I know Bayern uh, themselves as a club aren't judging his time there simply by whether he delivered a Champions League or not. They feel that they've made progress, uh, serious progress under Pep. And, but I also accept that part of the rest of the world might see it differently. You're talking to me about expected goals in a Champions League semi-final that they've just lost. Mm-hmm. Oh, what an yeah. absolute load of nonsense that is. Gab, honestly, just... Why? I mean, what do you mean, why? I expect, listen, I expect things at Christmas from Santa Claus, but they don't come. Right? What a deal in this fact. <laughs> no, that's not what it means. Expo- what does expected goals mean? Look, you can go on the internet and find a definition for it, but it's one vantage point to measure how well a team played by, by looking at chances uh, from which shot the locations and chances created and whatnot. Well, yes, everybody can look at the results. Of course, the results, because that's what the game, Gab Marcotti, is about. Whether you like it, I like it, or anybody likes it, the game is about right. results. That's why managers change okay, jobs good. and get the sack. Right? None of this nerd right. nonsense so, about expected goals. So Bayern Munich, who I think as a football club are a pretty important club, and they're run by some pretty smart people, uh, they 
they've come out and, and all along they've said that they feel that they've made progress and they weren't going to judge him simply by delivering the Champions League because you can get extremely lucky and win the Champions League. We've seen it happen not that long ago, 2011-12. Yes. Was that the best team in Europe, Chelsea under Di Matteo? Was it? And you can get extremely right? unlucky so three years in a row, so but you're losing the semi And this guy's adult. I'm not. Listen. I'm sorry. I'm not. No, you can get unlucky three years in a row, like Guardiola, and losing three semi-finals. Or are we dealing in he, fact? No, no. In fact, I'm agreeing with you. I think he should have done better in the last two semi-finals. But it's also, it, it's also a fact that they lost to Real Madrid and Barcelona. It's not like he went out against uh, against Dudelangi from from Luxembourg yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah, I'm not like, arguing he lost with against that. some pretty good teams. I think he made the situation worse in those games, and he made mistakes, and he made mistakes in the first leg. Yeah. But this is not the only thing that they're judging him on. I'm not having a go at Guardiola, I'm having a go at you. For, t for, sitting there t for, set for, coming on, you. for coming on this show, and you're regular on this show, talking about expected goals and how that's better than results. I'm sorry, but just, I'm not having that. Okay. I'm not uh, saying it's better than results, I'm saying well, it's well, one vantage point to look no, at it's it. Not a, they, they look at this, no. Jack. Dave, first off, can you explain to us what expected goals are? So let's break this down. So let's take every single shot um, that has happened this season in the Premier League. Yeah. So from those shots, you'll obviously have shots that are on target, shots that hit the woodwork, um, shots that are saved by the keeper, and then the shots that are, goaded, or the, that are scored, obviously. So what expected goals does is it breaks the penalty area or you know, the final third into sort of um, zones in a way. So let's just do it in a real simple term where we've got three zones, you know, middle, left, right. What expected goals will do, it'll take the number of shots that have happened in one of these zones and then um, also take the number of goals scored in these zones and then simply um, take the goal number of goals divided by the number of shots and then that's your expected goals. So, for example, if we've had three shots from the, the centre and we've scored two goals, mm. yeah. our expected goals from that zone would be 0.66. Yeah. And that yeah. is simply what expected goals is. That can obviously be applied. You know, you can add um, minutes played to that. You can add other certain things. Yeah. Um, you and have, so you forth. have more zones. You have more zones. You know, but the, usually the dudes will have like, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 zones. Um, my only issue with that is that that's an average. That's a, that's a big average. So over time, you'd expect it to average out. But to apply expected goals onto a single game of football for me is a little bit misleading hmm. because you're taking a big you're taking a big load of data and you're saying that that's going to happen every single time. Where quite frankly, due to the nature of the data, it's not going to happen every every single time. But it's a very interesting metric, and if you could build a very good expected goals model, yeah, it'd, it'd be good. But then the other issues that you have is that you're not taking in, into consideration where the opponents are, where the goalkeeper is, um, you know. There's a lot of other variables that aren't considered in the model, and that's my only criticism of the model. There's other variables that could be there, but it's a very good model. Does that hopefully make I, sense? I mean, it's, it's, the thing is, yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. Is it, it does The interesting side of it, isn't it, Dave, that is that actually people seem to be using it to good effect within the game. Yeah, you, I think that's, that's the, the, the danger with football stats at the moment is that it's difficult to find value of what, what football stats are, are worth. Um, you know, taken into consideration. And one, yeah, expected goals could be good if you apply it over a certain level and you've got correlation between the player and how many shots he's taken and so forth. But it's not going to be the greatest metric of all time. And I think that's the biggest thing. You know, people negating some stats and using other stats, that's very misleading. Do you think it, do you think it seems to be better in, in, in almost um, 
so um, that, that's what I, I do find interesting is, you know, some stats seem to be better looking back and some stats are forward looking stats, if you like. So you can say this guy and by its nature expected goals is, is supposed to be looking forward. Right. I think, a lot, I think what a lot of people do seem to use it. I mean, we, we, uh, the problem is uh, most of us only ever see it from a perspective of someone who's writing an article or someone who's reading an article. And actually within the game, it's probably much more nuanced than that, isn't it? Well, I think the big issue is that, yeah, what you use expected goals for, as you say, yes, at the start of the season, what you should be using it for is a predictor, right? So therefore, it shouldn't have any bias to it. It shouldn't have, um, it shouldn't have any uh, linearity between any of the other variables. And the issue that we have with there is that there is bias because you can't apply, uh, you can't apply that sample, your sample set of your player from one season to a next season. Oh, no, it's not bias, sorry. There's no correlation between it is what I'm right. trying to say. Do you think um, Mark Otti was wrong, though, to say... He, he was essentially saying that Bayern Munich were unlucky. He was using that statistic to explain uh, that they were perhaps yeah, unfortunate not to go through. Is that unfair of him to, to that's, use that? that I'd, I'd say in that situation, that is a good example of it being unfair because the reason why the, expect, the, the expected goals were so low was because Athletic Madrid are so good at blocking the ball and getting people in front of the, the, the goal and them as well with their keeper. So... Yes, you can say that expect they should have scored five goals in the game because they had 35 shots from these zones. But the issue is, in the game, if you look at Atletico Madrid, they defend in a certain way where potentially they'll be a little bit deeper than, let's say, how Barcelona defend on the edge of the penalty area. So you'd expect more goals to be scored from uh, more shots sorry, to go in from Barcelona if you're like in the penalty area. Whereas right. it'd be less against Atletico because there's more bodies between them and the goal. And ultimately, that's the issue that we don't consider other variables. So that's quite frankly, for Marcotti to just throw that in there and say the expected goals won, so they should have won, is quite frankly a load of shit. He didn't say they should have won. He was just sort of saying, he was trying to put a little bit of context when I say that they were perhaps a little bit unlucky in the fact that uh, considering uh, yeah, the yeah, I think goals. I think that's that's fine. That's a fine assumption. Then obviously I've not heard, I've not read what Marconi said about it, but that's a fine assumption. You can say yes. Potentially have been unlucky. <laughs> Burley's response though was was extremely interesting. He, he, I think he didn't quite grasp what expected goals means, and he was very uh, negative <laughs> about it. He sort of told Marcotti that uh, you know. Uh, He's not having any of it. This nonsense about expected goals. He called it nerd nonsense. Is what he called it. Uh, <laughs> nerd nonsense. <laughs> that, that's always the best way I find. What a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> but it did seem he he was very unwilling to like. He didn't understand. Even though he didn't really understand what it meant, he was still re- quite happy to just completely shut it down and wasn't having any of it. He wasn't. Do you, ever, you, know, do you ever think? Do you ever think that's just a bit weird? Do you ever think that's just that's so weird that someone sort of rejects to such a degree yeah you, should, you should be open to embracing that the, sort of thing but you I've, just... never felt, I've almost never but, I, but i've never felt so passionate about um a model of of anything um let alone <laughs> you know sort of expected goals he so just when, completely you almost imagine him he just loses it like it's so weird it, uh, you imagine that I don't know, maybe his wife slept with someone who does expect the goal. <laughs> yeah, he had a bad, he had a bad uh, it, day. Sort of, you, sort of, you almost want to make him angrier because you're sort of like, oh, poke the, poke the bear. Because it's what like, has Joel been doing? Well, I think he just... He oh, just makes me so angry. He misunderstood yeah. the meaning of expected goal and he misunderstood what Marcotti was trying to say because he, he, he went on to say and says, I'm not having it that you're talking about expected goals and how that is better than results, which is not what Marcotti was saying. He was just simply saying, Maybe Bayern were a little bit unlucky because blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I think Dave makes a good point there. And it's an interesting point about how, you know, maybe expected goals can't tell us certain things. It doesn't take into account certain variables. But at the same time, someone like Craig Burley, who's a professional pundit, should probably be a, 
bit more open-minded about embracing <laughs> statistics uh, and how you can analyze a game from that point of view so we'll leave it at that especially when he dismissed it as no nonsense i thought craig mate that's you know craig expand your horizons mate um, sanchez assists writes in and he says if hummels does indeed leave dortmund who should be the next captain of course the club have come out and publicly revealed that he does want to join Bayern Munich and they will make it happen if Bayern Munich are asking price. Hummels wasn't exactly uh, over the moon <laughs> with Dortmund doing that. He's come out with his own comments on that. But if he does leave, Dave, who do you think should be the new Dortmund captain? Um, I think you could look at someone like Smeltzer, maybe. Um, Piszczek, obviously two players that have been around for a while. Sven Bender's obviously still there. He was captain them before his big injury. Um, or even someone like Marco Royce. You know, I think there's a lot of options yeah, there. A lot, a lot of around. these players have... Have good, yeah, exactly, good experience. So, yeah, I don't think they should be worried about the next captain. Uh, even someone like, you know, Nori Sahin, if he can get back fit again, get him, oh, yeah. give him the captaincy. So there's a lot of options there, but I think, I, I think I'm going to go with Schmelzer. Uh, next question is from Pix, who slid into our DMs. He said, with Spurs slipping up against Southampton and having virtually nothing to play for away at Newcastle, they do have something to play for. Can the Geordie boys beat them and escape, or are they too heavily reliant on Sunderland's next two games? Is there any hope left for Newcastle? Uh, picks, I think, as we said earlier in the show, Spurs want to finish above Arsenal. We only need a point. Um, and you're assuming, of course, that Arsenal are going to beat Villa at home. So I think it's going to be a very tight game. As I said, I'm not massively confident going into it, but I think Spurs are going to do it. I think they'll at least pick up a point, considering that. Newcastle can even score against Villa. Uh, Sam asks, also in the DMs, which positions do Ranieri and Leicester need to strengthen on for next season? What do you reckon, Lawrence? Where's like the key area where they should be looking for new recruits? Uh, well, I, I imagine it's also going to be dependent on who they sell during the summer. Um, Morris. <clears throat> probably. I mean, Morris looks like the most likely, doesn't he? Uh, considering <coughs> his, some people, some people are saying it's fifty-fifty over Morris um, and Kante's within that region. So I'm told. Um, probably another centre back. We're seeing Robert Hoof sort of, tran- you know, having to transition uh, t- towards being older. Um, and you know, where, where's Morgan? Is no spring chicken. Um, but I'd, I'd also say then that they've got some other really uh, strong areas. I'd say you know, goalkeeper, fantastic, young, great. Um, centre back bring someone in, maybe even two people in. Uh, central midfield, you're going to need someone else, and maybe even two players. And I think maybe uh, two more attacking midfielders, maybe even three more attackers to really give you something extra because rotation is going to be really key. They can't play uh, that number of games next season and play this uh, this number of players. Um, it, yeah, it's just not possible. The main man, Solomon, writes in, he said, I went to school with a player oh. who just got promoted oh. to the Bundesliga with Leipzig. Do you have any connections with a pro footballer? Adam, Ooh. Leipzig has two teams. Rasing oh. Bull Sport Leipzig and Locomotive Leipzig. You've oh. just alienated a massive fan base. Apologies, guys. Huge. Hell, Adam. What a Leipzig. I am this never is big shit, mate. Commercial Red Bull into down. football. Nobody wants it. This is like Didn't you just say our pick? Apologies. Oh. Um, Dave, do you have any connection with uh, a pro footballer? Well, yeah, Danny Drinkwater. He used to play with one of my pals called, well, one of my best mates from Manchester called Chris Gibson. He used to play on the same team as Danny Drinkwater from no. the ages of like 11 till 14 or 15. No. Ooh. Yeah, straight in there. Good. Premier Pretty League good. champion. Lawrence? My grandma's best friend. Uh, 
her grandson used to play for Liverpool. His second name was Raven. Wow. Um, and going to uh, a school in the Midlands, everyone knows someone who plays for a sporting team. I'm pretty sure like at least a couple of the kids in our school played for Derby um, wow. and Burton Albion as well. Burton Albion obviously getting promoted as well this weekend. Mm. Uh, oh, and Luca Tony's my dad. But I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's almost irrelevant at this point. Don't, Cheers, yeah. Dad. Thanks for supporting today, by the way. Well done, Thanks Luca. for giving me a wink. See you later. Chris Smalling was in the year below me at school, as you all know, and he had a massive afro when he was there. So there you go. That's my connection. I used to see him around when he was at school. Next question from Jude F. Would managers like Guardiola win the league with Leicester's team without spending hundreds of millions? I think not, says Jude. What do you think, Dave? Mm, well, actually, um, a cracking company called Squawker.com did an article where they, uh, Never heard of it. they did it on Football Manager and they put in uh, Guardiola, um, Simeone, Mourinho into yeah. Leicester City and unfortunately none of them won the league. What? But I think Sim- S- Simeone was the best. I think he came sixth. Okay, interesting. So it must be true. Football Manager is, of course, uh, a portal into the future and Gospel. into parallel universes. So, um, okay, very interesting. So they emphatically, factually, no, Guardiola would not win the league with Leicester. Um, I, I feel like they would. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like their expectation would lead them to do that. I think it's partly, you know, you know the, like the uh, herd immunity thing? I feel like Leicester have benefited from herd immunity this season. Yes. Everyone else was almost um, indoctrinated and uh, you know uh, neutered to the point where they thought only money could win it. And suddenly, Boom. Leicester showed everyone else. But so, now that they've made, you know, no one else is really going to be able to do that because Leicester have infected everyone else. You might say they outfoxed everyone else, eh? Hey, hey, stop it! I'll get me coat. No, uh, Chris writes in. <laughs> saying, if Eddie Howe can slowly move to higher Premier League teams, will he be constantly tipped to become next England manager? What do you reckon, Lawrence? He's already being constantly tipped so. to be the next England manager. I think it's... Uh, I think it's, it'd be interesting... Yeah, where, I think he... It'd be interesting where he does go next in that he's obviously been born for a while. He's, he's not going anywhere soon, I wouldn't imagine. It'd be interesting to see whether he can move up to one of those top jobs, of course. It doesn't look like there'll be a post open uh, in the near future. Um, but it will be interesting to see how he's... How he's career progresses Jeremy Castro writes in Dave asking with Verratti and Marchisio out for the Euros how do you expect that to change Italy's style and who could take their place mm, it's an interesting one that's two really crucial players for Italy um, Conte's been experimenting of late with a number of systems he, he was playing a, a 3-4-3 um, in the recent friendlies which is quite interesting a gesture I think of who would go in there to replace him in a way because you're you're down you're absolutely down on players well you, you've got obviously De Rossi's um you know he's been knocking around for years yeah um you could throw Ferenzi in there if if needs be um we're obviously probably missing a blatant example here of a player Storaro from Juve could could drop in there um but yeah there's there, I think there's enough quality but then they've lost there's enough like decent players but they're definitely going to miss um, Verratti and Marquisio's quality, um, especially probably you know towards the latter stages where you need those top top players to to really get around. I'm reading here his teammate Thiago Motta or Sampdoria sensation Roberto Soriano is likely to replace him at the heart of Conte's yeah. midfield. 
or Jorginho, you know, the, the Napoli central midfielder. He's done a cracking oh, job in Serie A this season. I get Jorginho in there. Maybe you can play that ball-playing role. Conte, if you're listening, mate, get Jorginho. Jay Stockton, 98, writes in, and he said, who are the worst TV pundits? Woof. Great question. Uh, Craig Burley. Um, funnily enough, <laughs> no. Uh, you reckon, Dave, who's, your, who's, who's an unpopular pundit um, in your book? I'm not a fan of Niall Quinn. Oh, yeah, Niall Quinn. Not great. Definitely not great. Um, what's your grievance with, with Quinny? Uh, he's just a bit too biased for City. Yeah. That's always, that's always, some... that's always gets my goat when they're, you know, it's like, <laughs> Alan Smith is, is a good co-commentator, I'd say, but occasionally his, his Arsenal colours sort of shine free, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's not great. But then let's talk about the good ones. Danny Higginbottom. Yeah, like Danny he's, Higginbottom. He's he's writing stuff for the Independent as well, which is um, the stuff the stuff he's doing there is very interesting. Uh, what about who else has sort of come to the fore? Like, what do you make of Jermaine Genus? He's sort of been on Match of the Day a lot lately. Mm, yeah, he's, he's all right. Bland, Lawrence, you say? Yeah. Okay. Who who who's Bland. The could be better used, not very uh, insightful at times, but often not not used in the right way. Uh, what about uh, Danny Murphy? What do you reckon of Danny Murphy, Lawrence? Mm. Fine, sometimes a little bland, very often insightful when it comes down to player stuff. Um, Righty's getting better and right. I like Righty as a pundit on 606 because I think he interacts yeah. with the fans quite well. Yeah. Not a fan of Robbie Savage. Can go fuck himself. Um, <laughs> Excellent. Not a fan of, not a fan of uh, of Andy Gray. Um, okay. Next question is from AKA Juice. He says, "Who can Barca buy to improve their squad for next season? Who should they sell as well? Uh, what do you reckon, Lawrence? Is there a key area they need to improve in?" Uh, uh, I mean, I think central midfield would definitely be a place they want to add more numbers. Uh, they probably want another striker in there so they can rotate this team a little. Uh, and definitely a centre-back. Mm. Simple. Simple. Do it, Lewis Enrique. Uh, John Shin said, uh, should the Foxes do all they can to maintain their players for next season or should they cash out and restructure? They both seem like it's quite a drastic option to cash in on those players. I think the truth will be somewhere in the middle, as we said before. Mares may well leave and uh, Kante as well with that buyout clause. But I think they'll keep... Most of their key players, such as such as Huth, Schmeichel, Vardy, you know, Drinkwater, and hopefully they'll be able to add to that as well. And uh, if not, make another title challenge, at least compete uh, towards the top six next season. Um, my favourite question this week, though, comes from Piotr Gala. It's a great question. Which of you three do you think would be the best slash most successful manager in real life? Now, I'll give you my answer first. I think it would be Dave because Dave well, has I... a good, very good tactical understanding of the game. I think he's also a very likable man. I've never met a man who doesn't like Squawker Dave. So I think he'd have the the endearment of his squad. I think the squad would show him respect and he's got the, the personality but also the tactical acumen to be the best football manager of us three, I would say. That's my opinion. Dave, would you agree that it is you? Um, no, I think I think I think you'd be quite good, Adam. I've okay. seen how you you know you run your little squad at TFR. Oh yeah, you're a good manager. You're a people man. You under you understand the folk. Now, 
And I think you, you you know you're good at getting the best out of people. Yeah, I wouldn't say my on the pitch uh, intellect would be quite up to the job. Unfortunately, I don't have. I think you'd be calm. You'd be calm yeah. in, in in crisis. Well, I'd be resorting to like hoof it up to the big lad, all that sort of stuff. I don't think I'd have the. I wouldn't. I don't have the tactical brain to do it myself. You know, if you saw my football manager, you'd see uh, what I'm talking about. Uh, what do you reckon, Lawrence? He's the, he's the best of the three to be suited as a as a manager. What qualities do you think you'd bring, Lawrence, to being a football manager? Passion. Uh, yeah. I think we'd make a. You know, I do think we'd make. I think we'd make a good team. Yes, that's a good shout. The three of us. Yes. Mm. Who would be, you know, the the head coach then? Who would be the the Pochettino, if you will? I'd, put, I'd probably put Dave head coach. I wouldn't mind being like a little coach, you know. I could be an assistant or something. I put I put Dave. I, oh yeah, I put Dave as um. I put Dave as I put Dave as the head of tact, you know, tactical yes. style. Yes. Uh, I put you as like a, you know, the I think I definitely make you do post match interviews. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, Adam's a PR guy. That would be excellent. <laughs> yeah, excellent. What would you be responsible for, then, lads? Oh really? That's interesting. Um, maybe motivation in the players. Yeah. What, I don't. What would you go? What I mean? What what role do you want me? Um, I think you're quite an uh, insightful person. You know, you've obviously a bit of an intellectual. You know, you've got you've got smart ideas. I think you could. I think maybe motivation. Yeah, maybe Dave's more the technical sort of tactical side of the game, whereas maybe you're more the. I don't know, the psychological almost, you know. Am I wrong in saying that? I think that's quite good. No, no, I agree. Excellent. No, I agree. Just Fantastic. a really bad, inter- really bad internet connection, so, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so there you have it. I think Dave technically would be the best manager of the three, but put all three of us together, I think you'd have a, you'd have a pretty good coaching team, potentially. I think we, mm. could, we could take someone to win at least one game or something like that. Um, guys, anyway, listen, that wraps up. The Front Free Q&A podcast of the weekend. Absolutely fantastic questions. Really enjoyed going through them all. And I think Sunday's a keeper, guys. Tell me if I'm wrong. I enjoyed discussing the action. Some of the questions were about the action. I think it's a little bit, there's a little bit more to get your teeth into. I think. Mm, I agree. Yeah, fantastic. We're in a <laughs> Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. Remember, you can leave us a review on iTunes and also rate the podcast. It helps us a lot. So please go and do that if you get a chance. We'll be back on Wednesday uh, talking about all the, the, the news and sort of previewing that final weekend of football. And, of course, we'll be back on Sunday to talk through it all. Until then, though, Lawrence, if the good people want to go and find your thoughts, feelings, and musings in 140 characters or less, where can they go? L-O-Z-C-A-S-T and uh, Dave where can they go find you? S-Q-U-A-W-K-A-D-A-V-E Adam You can find me at Adam Bolton you can find Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All three of us on the Football Republic on YouTube, go and check it out. Until next time, guys, we'll see you on Wednesday. 